Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. This is most certainly true. Jesus is alive and death is dead. His tomb is empty and our hearts are full. His promises are fulfilled. The victory has been won. Easter brings fullness and life and joy and meaning and hope into our lives and brings them in fullest measure. Our songs of Alleluia will never end. Join us to worship our risen Lord with this Easter sermon recently delivered at Grace. First reading from Acts chapter 17. God seeks to be known through the preaching of the gospel. And through that gospel, he draws children close to his side. These words will also serve as the basis for today's sermon. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Marco Polo was born in the year 1254. His father was a merchant trader who traveled far and wide, and the apple didn't fall far from the tree. By age 17, Marco had, been, uh, had begun his first voyage down what was known as the Silk Road to modern-day China. And in his travels, he became wealthy, he became influential, he became powerful, even being appointed to be a diplomat, a diplomat for the Mongolian Empire and the Emperor Kublai Khan. He wasn't the first European to travel to China, but he was the first one to travel to China and write it down. And so the book that he wrote, The Travels of Marco Polo, became an open window 
that was otherwise shut to the European world. A window that allowed them to see what life was like in the Eastern world. After his travels were done, he settled down back into his hometown of Venice. He married, had three children, and then in the year 1324, Marco Polo died and was buried in a church in his beloved town. But you don't need to know any of those things in order to play the game that bears his name. All you need are some participants, a pool, and the party can commence. There's a legend, and I'm guessing that it probably is just that, a legend. But the story goes like this, that it was towards the end of a long day of travels. Marco was traveling with his father and with his uncle. And the story says that he fell asleep on his horse. Uncle and father weren't paying very close attention, and that horse with a sleeping rider wandered off the path, and soon they both were lost. When Marco and his uncle came looking for him, I bet you're catching on to to, to what's coming. They called out his name, trying to find him, and when they were within earshot of where Marco was lost, he called out in response his last name. Maybe that's what happened. In God's word today, we hear him tell us that he is a God who wants to be found. He wants to be found, and so he comes himself to seek us. He calls us by name. He proclaims his gospel into our hearts and our lives. We see him doing that through the Apostle Paul in our first reading for today. Paul comes to that city of Athens and proclaims to them uh, a God who wants to be found, a God who is far different and far better than the gods that they had worshipped. He wanted to tell them of a God who was real, a God who had power, not just power to impact and influence their lives here on earth, but power to give them life everlasting in heaven. He shared with them The news of a God who wants to be found. Paul came to the synagogue as was his normal practice as he came into a new city and he proclaimed the message of sins forgiven. He went then into the marketplace and shared the same news that Jesus was the Savior of the world. And now the Athenians, they were accustomed to the concept of having multiple gods. They were used to that, but this God that that Paul had preached... This God who was a savior God who came down to earth, who lived for mankind, who died in their place and then rose again from death. This was something that was unfamiliar to them. And so they asked Paul if he could stay and proclaim his message a little longer. They they took him to a place called the Areopagus which was a place where the philosophers and Stoics would, would debate. It was a place where the wise and learned people of the day would gather and share their wisdom. It was a place where the ruling council of the day would gather. And so Paul had won another audience with them. Paul used what was familiar to them as his open door to proclaim the unfamiliar. 
He shared with them the inscription that he had seen on an altar in the town to an unknown God. Now, this inscription was a sign that they had laid down this safety blanket, this security net. They had tried to catalog all of the the gods, gods of any shape or size, gods of any purpose. And then they offered to an altar, an altar to an unknown God too, just in case they had inadvertently missed one. Paul didn't come and, and condemn them for their idolatry, but rather he used that open door to share with them This God that you worship as an unknown God, this God that you admit you don't know, I know him. I know his name. Let me tell you about him. Here's how Paul's message to them begins. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's the reaction that they had. Paul was preaching to them an Easter message. He was telling them about victory over sin and death. These are are the words that come just before our, our reading for today. These are the reason that they took Paul to the Areopagus, so that other people could hear him, so that other people could choose for themselves, so that they would have a a chance to ask Paul their questions and and that everyone in town could hear his answers. Paul wanted the Athenians to know that God was a God who wanted to be found. He wasn't hiding from them. He wasn't hiding in a temple in their town or in any other town. He wasn't off in the corner of the world waiting for someone to uncover. No, Paul's message is even better than that. As he stared out with the people at the temples, the many temples for the many gods that were, were in that town, Paul's message was better. God's not localized to this temple or that, but God is not far from any one of us. God wants to be found, and so he sends a, a man like Paul to the city of Athens. He, he sends a man like Paul with a message to proclaim, to help make the unknown known. Here's what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. True God is so much better than the gods that the Athenians worshipped. The true God doesn't need to be served by human people. He doesn't need to have a building in which to dwell. He doesn't rely on the strength of our hands to make his dwelling or existence. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't it seem a little backwards the way that the Athenians were thinking? A God who has to rely on created beings, a God who has to rely on people, doesn't sound very godly at all. This isn't super deep theology. The fact that the immortal stands alone and stands higher and better and superior to mortal beings like us, that should come as no surprise to us and and it shouldn't 
strike us as odd or different. That's the way that it should be. Of course the creator is going to be higher and better than the created. And even though that's pretty basic level doctrine, even though it's not deep theology, it's a concept that we struggle to put into practice. How often don't we treat God as if he needs our help? Like he needs our help to carry out his will. How often don't we tell God how to be God? As if he wanted our advice or needed our assistance. How often don't we treat God like our own personal Siri? He's there in the corner. He's there to answer our questions when we need it. He's there to make our life easier when he might be able to. But then when life gets hard, when the problems get big, when the trials, suffering are severe, it's then that we rely on our own strength. It's then that we feel like we are the ones who have to get ourselves out of this mess. We act and even think as if God's not in control. As if God doesn't have the power or the will to save us. Paul's lesson, his preaching to them continues. He says, From one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Despite the fact that idolatry was rampant in the city of Athens, God wasn't far from them. And that's good news. Good news not just for those people who lived at that time and in that place, but that's good news for us because idolatry is rampant in the world in which we live too. And it's even worse than that. Idolatry is rampant in our very hearts. We make money, our jobs, our entertainment, our social media, our sporting events, ourselves, even our kids, we make them to be idols. Giving them a place in our heart that is larger than it should be. Giving them a place that pushes God out of the way. Showing where our priorities lie as we plan out our schedules or our personal finances. You don't have to look into the history books. You don't have to look back to Greek culture to find Idolatry. All you have to do is look in the mirror. Yet God is not far from us. He creates mankind. Even though he knows how idolatrous our lives will become, he creates us. Even though he knows that we're quickly going to rob him of the glory and thanks that he's due. He uniquely gifts us. Even though he knows that we're going to use those gifts, we're going to take them for granted every day. And some of those gifts might even be the excuse we give for walking away from him. Yet our God never walks away from us. Instead, he ordains the history of the world and he ordains our 
history to carry out his purpose. And his purpose is always this. He's a God who wants to be found. And so he comes to be found in the most obvious of ways. He comes in the most beautiful of ways to us as he ordains human history. And then when the time is right, he steps into human history. He steps into the human story. A creature with human flesh like you and like me. God ordained human history. He promised it from long before. And when the time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of the woman. Jesus came into our world and into our flesh and into our lives because he wanted to be found. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Paul was right. Paul was right when he said God isn't served by human hands, but we are served by the human hands of God. As Christ Jesus, fully God, becomes fully man. To stand in your place and mine, to live under the law of God and to fulfill it to perfection in a way that we should but never could. Paul was right when he said that God doesn't dwell in temples made by man and doesn't need anything from us. Yet Jesus willingly chose to make his dwelling among us. Jesus willingly chose to humble himself, to give up a throne of heaven and come to live a life on earth, to be born of a virgin, to be raised by inexperienced human parents. Jesus willingly endured all that is involved in the human experience so that he could be our substitute and savior. We are served by the human hands of Jesus as he offers those human hands to be pinned to a board of wood as the one who gives us life, gives his life in our place. He makes his life the payment for ours so that through his death we might have life everlasting. Our God is a God who wants to be found. That's why he raised Jesus from the tomb. Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, wanted to be found, and so he found his disciples and called to them his words of love and peace. He appeared to them to show them his human hands and side, still showing the wounds of his crucifixion, yet now a part of his glorified and victorious body. Our God is a God who wants to be found, and that's why he came to the Apostle Paul. In a miraculous way, as he was making his way towards Damascus to continue his ways of killing Christians, the risen Christ appeared to him with a flash of his glory and changed his life and changed the church and changed the world forever. Changing him from being an unbeliever to being a believer, from being a persecutor to a proclaimer. God trained Paul and then sent him out to spread the gospel message of sins forgiven through Christ. He sent Paul to many different places, including Athens, so that others might know of the resurrection of Christ, so that others might come to know what was previously unknown to them, that they might know that God is a God who wants to be found. 
and your story is the same too. Maybe it wasn't a dramatic conversion experience. Maybe it wasn't an appearance from the risen Christ, but God sends his gospel into your ears too. He sends it through the loving message of a loved one, through a pastor who cared enough to come and visit and share with you those words, through parents who loved you and and raised you to know Jesus' love. God put someone in your life who wanted you to know that God is a God who wants to be found and then unleash the power of the gospel that it might create faith in your heart, and it did. God is a God who wants to be found. That's what he did for you, and that's what he does for others. He wants others to find him too, and that's why he sends you out and sends me out. He sends the church out with his gospel message. He sends the church out empowered by his love, empowered by the difference that he's made for them, and now we have the privilege to share that difference-making, that life-changing, that life-giving gospel to those that are blessed, that we are blessed to have in our lives. And now we gather together, though uniquely for these last months, we gather together as a church to find Jesus. Jesus hasn't been lost Yet we gather together because we know where we can find him. We know that we find Jesus in the proclamation of his word. We know that Jesus can be found within the confines of a congregation, a gathering of believers who have faith in him and have Jesus Christ as the motivation for their actions. And he's the one who's on their lips. We can find Jesus in the words of encouragement that are spoken to fellow believers, we can find Jesus in the word of caution that might be spoken by a brother or sister in Christ. We can find Jesus in a message proclaimed from a pulpit or from the front of a classroom. We can find Jesus in the, the quiet whispers of his holy word in a midday devotion. Our first reading showed us today, our second reading it was, that showed us where we can find Jesus in the sacrament of holy baptism. We are saved. Baptism now saves you by the resurrection of Jesus there. Jesus comes to us personally and claims us as his own through his powerful and faith-creating gospel. We know that we can find Jesus. We encounter our Savior and Lord in his holy, nourishing meal. As Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood given, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Wherever the word is proclaimed, wherever the sacraments are rightly administered, there you find the church. There you find Jesus. God wants to be found. He wants to be found by us, so he calls us through the power of the gospel. He wants others to find him too, and so he sends out Christian missionaries. Christians to live their lives to the glory of God. Christians to have the message of the love of God on their tongues. He sends us out so that we might give hope to the hopeless, that we might comfort the hurting, and maybe even like Paul had opportunity, that we might make the unknown known to a dying world. God is not far from any of us. We can rejoice that no matter what this 
world might bring, no matter how many are our faults or failures, no matter what kind of mess we've made of our lives, our God is not far from us. He's there with his forgiveness and grace. He's there with the powerful gospel news that sins are forgiven in his blood. He's there to keep the promise that was made in today's gospel reading that he will send his Holy Spirit to us, that with the Holy Spirit living within us, we will always be close to God. We will always be able to see our Savior. God wants to be found, and we can celebrate the fact that he has sought us out. He has called us by name. He has made it so that we can find him. He's given us everything we need to know him to trust in him, to believe in him, and to live our lives in thanks and praise in response to his love. He's done it all for us. He gives us a promise that he's not far off and a promise that he will be eternally close to us as we take our place at his side in heaven everlasting. It's all ours because our sins are forgiven. It's all ours because Jesus rose from the dead. Life is ours. Resurrection is ours because Jesus rose. Because he lives, we also will live. The Athenian poets had it correct. We are God's offspring. Children of a heavenly father and heirs of everlasting life. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, visit www.gracedowntown.org. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.